Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms. And with me, we have Mike Steppy and Adam Longley. Man, there's a lot going on in the world. So let's jump into it. Mike, give us an update on the last couple of weeks. We continue to see rates shift higher. If you look at a five-year treasury note at the beginning of the month was at 472. Now it's at 495. So an increase of 23 basis points. Interestingly, the 10-year was at 469 at the beginning of the month. Now it's at 498, up a little bit more, up 29 basis points. This is the first time since 2007 that 10-year maturities have traded near 5%. So we see the recent economic data showing some strength in the labor market and strong retail sales. So the economy is demonstrating a high level of resilience. So it, it's a very positive environment. Mortgage rates are increasing. I always watch every week the Freddie Mac survey of mortgage rates, and they they're said uh, on Thursday that the average rate was 771 and uh, for a 30 year and for a 15 year, it was 712. So we continue to see mortgage rates pushing higher. The stock market continues to price in good news. Uh, S&P 500 is trading at a 19.4 times projected 2023 earnings. The market is projecting earnings growth. Now this usually comes down uh, over, over time but 11.8% earnings growth in 2024 versus the projected growth in 2023. Uh, and so you look at that, uh, S&P index is up about 13% year to date. So a lot of good news out there. Uh, most, when you start looking at things that are concerning, most of the appreciation in the S&P 500 this year was due to the magnificent seven stocks. And the S&P is off 6.44% since July 31st. When you dig into the numbers at the end of the third quarter, five stocks accounted for all the gain in the S&P 500. So the other 495 stocks had a negative return this year. The Russell 2000 is negative. And we continue to see earnings pressure out there in terms of higher interest. It seems like a broken record, I know. But higher interest rates, higher wages, higher energy costs, all contributing to sort of, uh, you know, concerns about earnings in 20, in the fourth quarter and next year. The dollar is strengthened with higher treasury yields since the middle of July. The, the dollar is up about 6%. I get into watching the different uh, cross rates against the dollar, where the dollar's up 7.3% versus the Japanese yen, up 65 versus the British pound, and up 58 versus the euro. Oil continues to trade over $90 a barrel for West Texas Intermediate. Uh, there's certainly a premium built into oil prices uh, with the hostilities that are going on in the Middle East. So that's sort of the backdrop of where we are today. Well, I appreciate the backdrop, Mike, and maybe the lead into some of the issues, the humanitarian issues and, and economic happening overseas. Can you give us some comments about the Middle East in the last few weeks? Um, and again, as you were saying, this is a real human humanitarian tragedy. Uh, is Hamas 
uh, conflict with Israel. And I think you need to see it in sort of the prism of what's happening in Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Israel, and, and broaden that out versus just thinking about Hamas versus Israel. It's broader than that. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel were negotiating a recognition deal. Iran likely encouraged or at least okayed Hamas attacking Israel. And the long-time tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran. There's there, We've talked about this before in the podcast. There's a fierce struggle there for regional dominance. And it's religious connotations in there in terms of Saudi Arabia being uh, Sunni, Iran being predominantly Shiite. So you've got these pressures that across the Middle East, and that could, what the market's worried about is that that could escalate. And you could see sort of a proxy battle that we've seen that before, that Iran and Saudi Arabia don't fight each other, but they use other players to sort of battle each other. And Hezbollah would come into that as their as Iran's force in Lebanon. And so you've got just a lot of dynamics going on. I think the key thing uh, for investors to be watching is what's the price of oil? And when you if you look at the price of oil, it gives you a sort of a barometer of what's going on in the Middle East because as the pressures intensify, price of oil will go up. If if pressures start to subside, you probably see the price of oil going down. And Adam can comment more on that. Well, Adam, it's a perfect transition to talk a little bit about third quarter equities earnings releases and what we're seeing going into the fourth quarter? Um, so far, we've, we've begun um, the third quarter earnings season where when companies report how they did, um, give a little bit of guidance for the fourth quarter. Honestly, no one cares that much. It's more about, you know, some um, guidance and forward looking into what uh, the following year looks like um, is where people really focus their attention. But so far, we've seen a lot of large banks and financials report. That's typical. They, they typically report first. They've reported some really strong numbers. Uh, they're, they're beating expectations by, by quite a bit. Uh, as an example, the, the financial sector is kind of reporting earnings growth of um, near 17%. Expectations were for around 12 that's uh, that strength as you carry it through to the overall market means that the growth rate for the for the market is over two instead of call it one and a half. So the so far the financial sector is really carrying the whole market higher. Expectations going into the quarter uh, were revised positively, which is a, a, a positive sign. Obviously, expectations as the earnings season started was that sales growth year over year in the third quarter would be up 1% and then earnings would grow by a little over two. Uh, so obviously in there is an assumption that operating margins would expand and, and we're already at uh, levels that are above average. So that's quite a bit. Of, it's a reversal of what we've seen. We've seen earnings contraction. We've seen negative revision. So this does mark a, a kind of a, a turning point where you've got positive revisions and companies are beating those expectations and we've returned to growth. So all, all positive things. I think that explains a lot of the strength in the market. Looking forward, 
as we talked about, what, what is maybe more important is, is what our expectations for 2024 and calendar year 2025. So as we sit here today, the market is expecting uh, year-over-year earnings growth in, in year one and year two to be 12%. Those are, those are very high numbers. We've never seen growth acceleration like that without um, the Fed cutting interest rates. So I think that goes hand in hand with there is an expectation that the Fed will start to cut rates next year. I think it's probably been pushed out one rate cut in the fourth quarter, um, roughly. So and you would kind of need that to, to get this type of uh, earnings growth. But all in all, we would be cautious. We, we think those are probably uh, aggressive assumptions, and we would expect those to be revised lower um, as we progress. But uh, that's that's kind of where we sit today. With financials, it's traditionally difficult for banks to make money when there's an inverted yield curve. Borrowings, taking deposits at rates that are uh, really high is difficult. And then lending at not so high longer term rates. How are financials seeing 17% increases in that type of environment? Well, there's it's, it's a year-over-year comparable. So you kind of have to think about how how rough was it last year? And there's a timing mechanism, right? So short-term rates went up very fast. And over time, banks adjust by raising, um, you know, they charge more for their loans. And so it does take time, and we're seeing that play out. The other big delta or thing to watch is what are banks doing as far as provision? You know, what provisions are they taking for future loan losses? And that's been that's been pretty constructive. Um pretty positive and then you also look at you know the better banks have uh, the ability to have uh, non-interest or non-spread income so they have businesses like wealth and, and other businesses that are, are higher quality and, and generate fees and so you've seen some pretty strong organic growth from some of the bigger or some of the better banks perfect i appreciate that extra detail mike coming over to you interest rates treasury yields they are ticking up Maybe connect that a bit to some of the conflict overseas and what we're seeing with the relative health of the U.S. economy. Well, they're certainly ticking up. If you go back to June 30th, we've seen the 10-year Treasury go up uh, over 1%. It's 108 basis points increase. So that's certainly ticking up. And it's for the same basic reasons that we've talked about in these podcasts for a while. Solid economic momentum, strong labor markets. There's been a lot of supply in the treasury market and the corporate market. The Fed keeps talking about raising short-term rates potentially and higher energy costs. So those factors are what's driving it up. We're getting now with at these levels to a more balanced position because you've got some, you know, as you look forward, you see likely declining uh, inflation. You see economic growth slowing. You see tighter credit conditions amongst the banks, and you see strong investor demand. As these rates have gone up, and you can now buy a seven-year muni bond with a 375 municipal yield that gets you a five and three-quarter taxable equivalent if you're in a 35% tax bracket, people have been buying those. And not surprising, it's just the yield levels are so attractive versus other things that you can buy. So we've seen this shift up in rates, and we've seen sort of a 
uh, yield curve, you know, has been really inverted. If you go back to the end of June, what you saw was a yield curve that was really inverted uh, over 100 basis points, 106 basis points between the two-year and the 10-year negative. And you look at that same spread today, and it's negative uh, 18 basis points. So we've seen that the curve flatten. That would be positive for banks, as you think about that. Um, and you've seen the five-year to 10-year part of that curve. So at the at the end of June, that the spread between the five-year and the 10-year was like 32 basis points at, uh, negative. And now that spread is positive. So we're sitting in a world today where the five-year yields 486 and the 10-year yields 492. So we've seen a change in the, in the shape of the yield curve. And that's always interesting as you watch that. And the reason is that longer rates have come up. So while 10-year treasuries were coming up a little over 100 basis points, two-year treasuries we're coming up 20 basis points. So that's what's accounted for it. I love it. I appreciate the description. And Adam, I'll come to you. With, you can piggyback on some of the rate movement and how that might affect growth versus value stocks, especially, and maybe take just a second, Adam, to explain what the Magnificent 7 are that Mike referenced in context of your answer. Yeah, it's something that the press has picked up of, you know, kind of the seven best performing stocks in the S&P 500. Um, they tend to be um, growth-orientated names, tech names, the NVIDIA, um, Tesla, Apple, etc. Um, it's really seven stocks have driven all or nearly all of the year-to-date performance for the S&P 500, which implies that the other 493 stocks have either been flat or, or, or negative or had a kind of a, a marginal return. So. That's kind of the idea is seven stocks have generated all the return in the market so far this year is, is the idea. Um, as, as far as I, th- I believe the question was falling interest rates and, and the impact on equities. So if you look at, go back a couple of decades and there's been periods where we've had rates fall, um, you know, in a, in a meaningful way. And we look at the 10 years, it's kind of an easy proxy. There's, there's a couple patterns. One is each one is slightly different, but there's some some themes, so they're not all exactly the same. But kind of the, the sectors that tend to do the best historically, um, you know, one is is healthcare. Uh, in, in a falling rate environment, the average return on the healthcare sector over that period, and if, if it's a multi-year period, this is kind of an annualized return, is, is, is a pretty robust 16%. That's kind of in the, the top sector. Uh, another one is consumer staples at a, at a 13% return. And then utilities has, has also done well. Um, and so those tend to be more value orientated stocks. They tend to be more defensive characteristics. Uh, if you think about their earnings profile, it's less um, cyclical. So that you get stable earnings, they tend to pay a higher dividend. So if you think about a, a total return on a stock, that, that dividend component tends to be larger in this part of the market. And so we, we do think um, going forward, we remain tilted in, in favor of value stocks over growth stocks. And um, we do think when rates um, ultimately peak and begin to move lower, that'll 
potentially be a nice catalyst for that value to outperform growth once again. Nice. I appreciate that. I'm going to stick with you in more related to opportunities. Uh, logically, uh, and you tell me if this is consistent, but logically, when there's conflict, defense stocks sound more attractive. How does that look going forward with everything going on overseas and not just the Middle East, but you obviously have Russia, Ukraine and potential conflict in other places? Yeah, I mean, when when the conflict is kind of announced that day or two, defense stocks tend to trade uh, very well. And, and we saw that here recently. Some of these stocks were up 5 or 10%. As it relates to defense stocks, um, I think you have to kind of go back to the, the, the fundamentals and, and remember that the stock price today is, is just kind of a proxy for those future cash flows. Um, and so today, uh, we're at a point where defense spending is, is very high. Um, and, and as we get additional conflicts, you may get a short-term bump in funding, but um, it's likely not sustainable. So the market won't give the stocks credit for it, if, if that makes sense. And if anything, it just puts more pressure on the narrative that we're at peak spending levels. And so historically buying defense stocks when spending is at peak levels and it's going to uh, likely decelerate, it, you know, won't go negative. It'll just grow at a lower rate. That's not a good environment. Um, it'd be hard to get on performance. You're also at a point where um, margins have been under pressure for a number of quarters. Um, so not only are they under pressure, under pressure, but they've been disappointed. So every time these defense contractors report earnings, their profitability is below expectations, and so they've they've got they've got some headwinds and and. Um, Given that they've appreciated on the news, it, it's also made them uh, the valuation even more above average, and I would say less attractive. And so uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily see a great opportunity opportunity there. You know, looking at, at other stocks, uh, you know, Mike kind of alluded to this, but this particular um, conflict is is going to put uh, upward pressure on oil prices. Whether supplier demand is affected or not, there is what we call a risk premium um, that is associated with with the Middle East, and and so just the fact that there's a conflict expands that premium. And going into this, there was um, very little premium at all, and so you're going to see that premium back in 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 oil. You see that today. That's obviously inflationary. That's something that American consumers will pay every day. Um, that'll be a headwind to, to spending. So it will have a negative impact on a big part of our economy going forward. Well, it's a lot to think about, a lot for us to keep an eye on from an investment committee perspective and trading and client portfolios. I appreciate all the perspective from both of you, as always. Uh, feel free to stretch it out if there's any other stuff to talk about. But I'll move it to uh, parting thoughts from you, Mike. I'm going to go back to a favorite theme of mine tax-exempt municipals, uh, those yields are really attractive right now. And it's something you can look at as, you know, a base to your portfolio that you have this consistent stream of earnings. Uh, tax-exempt municipals are trading. The yield curve out there is flatter than usual. And you're talking about 375 municipal yield. You you If you're in a 35% tax bracket, it's a 575 type number. So... That's great. Adam, parting thoughts from you. 
Sure. We've, you know, we talked about the magnificent, magnificent seven, um, in, in stocks like Nvidia up 200%, Meta up 150. There are other parts of the market that are, are down over 20%, 30%. Um, and so there's, there's, there's sectors that if you're looking for opportunities, I, I think you could likely find something interesting. Something like healthcare, there's a lot of disruption with the weight loss drugs and uncertainty of future demand for other drugs. So big pharma likely has some opportunities. Things that are related to consumer spending um, on the, on the more, less discretionary side, which is we would consider consumer staples. Some of those stocks are pretty beaten up. Um, a lot of money was in those as a proxy for bonds. And then as bonds become have become attractive, like Mike said, money has left those stocks. And, and those are some really strong companies. I think there's probably opportunities there. And I think the same can be said for, for utilities. Those have been um, really sold here as, as money has gone into uh, bonds as well as money market. And so, you know, potentially that is an area that's that's gotten oversold and it might be attractive. So lots of opportunities, even if the overall market is trading at a level that's considered above average, questionably if how attractive it is, there's definitely stock specific opportunities. I love it, guys. Thanks again. And thanks again to everybody on. We appreciate you joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. 